Good morning. I'm Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. The sermon notes are available at mynewhope.in, or I think there might be a thing that could come up on the screen, maybe it already did, uh, that you can scan that'll take you right through. You can have all the notes that we're going to be, all the notes and scriptures that we're going to be using today will be available. You can follow along right with us. Before we get kicked off, I just want to ask Mr. and Mrs. Pazana to stand up. They just got married. Stand up. Let's put our hands together and welcome them together. There's a couple. We love you. Take notes, everybody. That's how you do it. Your, uh, your honeymoon, come to church. That's what you do. Doggone it. Welcome, everyone who's uh, worshiping with us online. And some of you I know typically would be in the house today, but you're on vacation. So we are glad that you made the right decision and worshiped God even on vacation. Uh, way to go. We're glad you are with us today as well. We're starting a series today called The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a countercultural guide to kingdom living. It's a passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, where Jesus gave a sermon that is foundational to how Christians ought to live. Not only is it foundational, but it's kind of uh, countercultural. It's upside down. It's not what you would expect. In fact, at the time that Jesus gave this, this sermon, most everything that he said was countercultural, so countercultural that it would, it would have been shocking for the hearers. They walked away, and I just know that there had to have been a few <gasps> spoken throughout the crowd when he said it. If it doesn't shock you, that's only because you've heard it before. This passage of scripture, there's, there's no other passage of scripture that's been studied, memorized, and taught on more than Jesus's sermon on the mount. He opened this sermon with the things that we call the Beatitudes, blessings. We're going to start in Matthew 5 today. You can get your uh, Bibles out uh, as, as we go through the Beatitudes. Today, you're in for a treat. We're going to do something a little different. Um, you, know, I, you know, like a revolving door. You come in, and like when you go in halfway, it's like, oh, something's all new. And then you go out. We're going to do revolving pulpit today. We have several speakers in our church. We want to use the gifts that God gave us. And we have several teachers in our church who are going to uh, each take one of the Beatitudes. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So without any further ado, here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good morning, my name is Bill. Good morning to those of you online, and good morning to my lovely fiance who's also watching online from the Philippines. Hi, baby. <laughs> what does it mean to be poor? This is not a call to poverty. It does not mean that you're to put yourself down or that you should perceive yourself as a loser. You were made in God's image. You are valuable to God. The word poor here is a picture of someone who is broken or broke or broken. The phrase poor in spirit separates it from all other uses of the word poor in the Bible. To be poor in spirit not only is to be humble, but it also means to be emptied in your spirit. The word poor here is a metaphor which cause, uh, carries with it the idea of complete dependency on something other than oneself. 
The word poor generally describes what one has or what one does not have. But when Jesus used the phrase poor in spirit, he was not referring to what one has, but to what one is. Jesus is describing those who are utterly destitute in spirit and totally dependent upon God. The message says, blessed, you are blessed when you're at your ropes, at the end of your rope, when there's less of you and more of God. And that's in his rule. Here in, the, here in Matthew, the word poor is translated from the word, Greek word patakos, which is not to be mistaken for the word tacos or Taco Bell. <laughs> patakos literally means to crouch or cower as one who is helpless. It signifies the beggar, the pauper, one in abject poverty, who is totally dependent on others for help and destitute of even the basic necessities of life. Jesus gave us a picture of being poor in spirit in the story of the two men who went up to the temple to pray. The, Pharisees, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, not like the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat upon his chest and said, God, have mercy to me, a sinner. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. It is to understand that you have absolutely nothing of worth to offer to God. Being poor in spirit is admitting that because of your sin, you are completely destitute spiritually and can do nothing to deliver yourself from your dire situation. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's declaring that before we can enter God's kingdom, we must recognize that utter worthlessness of our own spiritual currency and our inability of our own works to save ourselves. A good example of to be poor in spirit is found in the story of the rich young ruler. You recall he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, obey the commandments. He says, I've done all that ever since I was young, yet I'm still lacking something. And Jesus said, go and sell all that you have, give it away to the poor, and come and follow me. And he could not do that, and he went away sad. Here was a man who had everything that the world considered worthy of pursuing, wealth, youth, power, and even professed righteousness. But it was not about his money. It never was about his money. It was about his ability, or rather his inability, to be emptied of dependency on his own resources. His unwillingness to be destitute and poor in spirit, and his refusing to be totally dependent upon Christ. Jesus is calling us to something totally different than the world's standard of success. Our culture says, be rich. But Jesus says, be poor in spirit. It is not about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, or cleaning up our lives in order to make, make it into the kingdom of God, but rather it is about proclaiming, I, am, I have no power in myself to follow God's commandments. I cannot live this Christian life with, on my own. I cannot love my neighbor, even love my enemies on my own, and I cannot do any of these beatitudes on my own. I need Christ, for it is only as I empty myself that I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, you must have the same attitude or mindset that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death upon the cross. You are truly blessed when you become a pauper, are desolate in your spirit, becoming utterly dependent upon God for all that you have or all that you need. For it is then when you acquire this mindset or this attitude that you are fully experiencing the kingdom of heaven. Now for our next beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Good morning, my name is Adam. I am teaching on mourn. Mourn means to show deep sorrow or regret for someone or something. The Lord wants us to have deep mourn for our sins and our actions that we commit. And James, James 4.9 says to be miserable and mourn and weep for our sins. As a kid, I was riding my bike with other kids down the road. And this kid wouldn't get out of my way on the sidewalk. And I ended up hitting him with my bike and caused a mark up on his back. And I showed such deep remorse in deep sorrow for causing this mark on his back. What if we had that childlike heart when we committed a sin and went to God and cried out to him? You can only imagine what that does to his heart, knowing that he obviously knows what we're going to do before we even do it. It's just a matter of going to him and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. He wants to hear it out of our mouth. So number one, name and confess your sin to God. It is countercultural to call out sins of other people. The world says it's okay to sin. Nothing's going to happen. Let's go have fun. And that's not what God says. There's, there's actions for our sin in the long run. Um, this morning reading 2 Samuel, if you follow along on the, new, on the uh, New Hope Bible page on Facebook, talks about David and what David did. You know, I just thought it tied in really good with the message that I'm teaching this morning. You know, what David did committing adultery and then putting, uh, putting somebody out on the front line to kill him just because he found out that that, girl, that woman's wife was uh, pregnant. Um, in the long run, what does sin cost you in the long run? James 1.5 says, then after, the desire, then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to, to sin, and sinful and grown gives birth to death. Um, you know, the, 
the closer we allow our relationship to be with the Lord, the less access we allow the devil to let it allow us to slip up and sin. Uh, Hillsong Worship has a song called, Here I Am to Worship. And in the song it says, I will never know how much it cost to see my sins upon the cross. We will truly never know the suffering that God went through. Sorry, that kind of hits home for me. Mourning starts at the cross and will lead you to forsake your sin. Matthew 5.4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God wants to comfort us. We go to him and confess our sin. He's not just going to sit there and be like, oh, whatever. They, they committed a sin and turn around and walk away. He's there to hold us. He wants to hold us. He wants to comfort us because he forgives us. That's why he died for us. One of the reasons we fail to, we fail to mourn is we underestimate our sin and what it cost us. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time with this next one. For the, in the Bible, it talks about obey the law of the land. I have a very hard time going to speed limit. Um, as Scarlett will tell you, and it doesn't take long for it to get back to my wife and she's with me. So if I don't get the ticket driving down the road by the officer, I, I definitely get the ticket from the wife. <laughs> so it's one way or the other. But, you know, going down I mean, County 35, if I passed you doing 100 miles an hour, you're probably not going to be too happy that someone was going down 35, 100 miles an hour. You know, sin is sin. Whether I get caught by an officer or I don't get caught, sin is sin. So, I mean... God knows what I'm doing is wrong. Um, if you take anything out of this message that I have, I would like you to take this. We never commit a little sin because we never offend a little God. I will repeat that again. We never commit a little sin because we never offend a little God. Some of you in here might have needed to hear this today, and I would like to pray with you. So I'm going to end in prayer, and then we can move on to the next one. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for our hearts, Lord. I just ask that each and everyone's heart in here be opened to every message that is being preached this morning, Lord. I just ask that you just touch us, Lord, and allow us to receive and allow us to have a heart to mourn. In your name I pray, amen. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You can tell I'm the uh, high-maintenance preacher. Uh, and by the way, uh, Jamie, I remember um, cakewalks. And... Uh, 
it's good that I do because there's some other things that it's important that I remember that were a long time ago as well. And, and uh, to Dominique, who's trying to keep up with me uh, with my notes, I'm just going to tell you that um, I have a lot to say, three pages of notes and six minutes to say it in, and uh, you'll never keep up with me. And I'm, I'm going to do this a little different. It's dangerous to give a Pentecostal preacher uh, six minutes to say anything. So, so uh, Dominique, if you happen to see a scripture that, I, that you have, because I got some you don't know about, uh, throw it up there. If you see a note that, you, that I say, put it up there. Otherwise, don't feel bad if you can't find it. Um, and uh, if you don't like the way I preached it this time, come back next service, it'll be different. So, uh, all right. Um, it's important to remember, and this is one of the things I remember. I was speaking to a couple just before church this morning, I remember who I was and I remember what I was before I met Jesus. And he changed my life. He changed my life. And every moment that I live is living on, on borrowed time because he died for me and, 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 and he forgave my sin. And I was, trust me, I was not lovable. But God made me something different. And, 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 Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You know, these are called the Beatitudes, but they could really be called the paradoxes because they teach us, Jesus is teaching something that is so different than what the world has taught us all alive, what the schools are teaching our kids, what in the church many times we're being told that you should look out for yourself, that you should take care of yourself. Jesus said, die to yourself. And, and, and meekness is the, is the beatitude that makes it possible for us, for you and for me, to be able to effectively follow the things God wants us to do. And, and in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the beatitudes are the, are the, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's not about what we believe, it's about what we do. And what we do has to come from a pure heart. It has to not be say, oh, God wants me to love my enemies, so I must love my enemies. It's not that at all. It's, it's that I must, I must humble myself. I, I remember Jesus died for me. And when I have this attitude, I need to ask God to forgive me. Lord, help me love my enemy. And if, I, if there's something I don't understand, teach it to me because I want to please God. And then Jesus goes through the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives, us, he gives us practical examples of what he's talking about. And the purpose of this is fine. I may not get to any scriptures, Dominique, so just, work, just roll with me here. Uh, the reason why is this. Jesus said in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, I'm talking to you, not some other guy, not some other woman. You are the light of the earth, the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine, so shine, before men, that they may see your good works, stuff you do, 
and glorify who? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what this is about. And, and, and his meekness that makes it possible for us to do that with a joyful heart. And, and, and we have meekness toward God. That's one of my notes. Put it up there. It's, and meekness toward man. So the meekness towards God is what makes us possible for us to submit to the Lord. Meekness towards men is where we put others' needs higher than our own. And we, and, and we love our enemies, and we, and we treat each other the way we're supposed to be treated. And if you go on down through the, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about adultery. He says, he says you know, you're worried about adultery. If you even look at a woman, I suppose if you're a woman, if you look at a man too. I'm not a woman, I don't know how that works. But if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. So, Lord, help me. God, Jesus died for me. Help me not look at her like that. Help me, help me to love my wife. He goes on down and he says, marriage is sacred. We got so much divorce. The church is, the statistics are the same for the church as they are for the world. And, and when you fall out of love, I say hogwash. Get a little meekness. Ask God to remind you. The Bible says, and he told me this once very clearly, you shall not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth, but you shall always be enraptured with her love. You say, wait a minute, I fell out of love. No, you didn't. You made some bad choices with how you're thinking. You need to humble yourself before God and figure out with his power how to remember the love that you had for her. Always be enraptured with your love. Gentlemen, if you're not enraptured with the, with the love of the wife of your youth, you need to get so. And you do that through meekness. And if we have me, I'm looking at my time. Where'd my time go? I'm, I'm over. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. There's just so many things. But read through the, the Sermon on the Mount and look at those examples that Jesus gave. And if you'll have these things, you'll be blessed because you'll be content with the things you have in this world. There you inherit the earth. And then you will inherit a new heaven and a new earth because you're going to have eternal life. And there you go. I'm done. I never preached a short in my whole entire life. And uh, somebody else is coming. Bethany's coming up here. Here. I'm supposed to give this away. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He had two jobs. He did one right. So Jim stole uh, some of my time, so I got to talk fast. Just kidding. Uh, my name is Bethany, and this morning I'm going to be talk talking to you about Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled with what? Righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for something, that's what you're going to be filled with. The New Living Translation of this verse says justice instead of righteousness. Now, if you've ever heard my husband preach before, you know that a helm camp cannot preach without either a map or a Greek word. So this morning, we're going to look at a Greek word, but I am not one for pronunciation, so we're going to look at it together. <laughs> Here's my Greek word for this morning. 
So there are many places in the New Testament where this Greek word is used, and sometimes it changes your thinking about whatever verse you're reading. I've read Matthew 5, 6 so many times where it says righteousness. I know what righteousness means. It's changing your life and your actions to reflect God's character. But if you read it as justice, that makes you think about it a little bit differently. Biblical justice is about restoration, treating people in a manner worthy of God's standards, and encouraging other people toward righteousness. Both of these things, righteousness and justice, both involve the character of God, which is so important. Two other verses that we see in the New Testament that use this Greek word and to mean both things is Matthew 6:33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and justice, and all of these things will be given to you as well. We also see it in 2 Corinthians 5:21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness and justice of God. If we seek him first and his righteousness and justice, that's what we will be filled with, righteousness and justice in the character of God. So I'm a visual person, and things click better for me if I can see them. So here we have two lives, um, This represents our righteousness. Only one person in history was ever completely filled with righteousness in the character of God, and that is Jesus. So none of us will ever realistically look like this. But both of these people have accepted Christ, and they have begun to be filled with his righteousness. So both of these people um, were on their way to work one day, and this person decided, you know what, I really don't want to think about things. I'm kind of stressed. I'm just going to go ahead and turn on the radio and listen to a little bit of talk radio, gossip about celebrities, political figures, whatever, stuff like that. This person decides, you know what, I'm really stressed out, so I'm choosing to turn on some worship music. I'm just going to pray on my way to work, focus on God, and listen to what he has to say for me today. So both of these people are at work or school, walking through the hall, and hear someone start to tell a joke. They both stop and listen to it and realize it's a little bit inappropriate. So this person thinks, you know what, I really don't want to be thinking about this the rest of the day. I'm choosing to walk away and not listen to that joke. This person thinks, you know, I really shouldn't be filling my mind with this, but I really want to see where this is headed. I want to see what the punchline is. So they stop and listen to it. And afterward, they think, yeah, that really was an inappropriate joke, but it was also really funny. So they go and tell someone else the same joke. So they both get home that evening, and they just want to relax. They turn on Netflix, watching a movie, and a very inappropriate scene pops up. So they both see that scene pop up on their TV. This person says, this is not honoring to my spouse. Um, I'm not married, but this is not honoring to my future spouse. This is not honoring to me. They choose to quickly turn it off. This person says, no one else is home, and my spouse will never know, so how would it affect them? Or, I'm not married yet. How is this going to affect my future spouse? It's just one scene. So they keep watching, and more scenes like that show up. So... That weekend at church, both of these people here, did you hear about Pete? He is doing some really awful things. He's destroying his family. He's arguing all the time, spending all of their money. Can you believe that? So both of these people hear the same rumor about Pete. This person says, I didn't hear that. You know who we should talk to about that? Pete. We should go talk to Pete. And he says, Pete, 
I hear that you're having trouble maybe. So if you're interested, I'll go with you and talk to our pastor about that and see if we can get through this together. This person says, I didn't hear that about Pete, but you know who we should talk to? Susie. She would think that is an awesome story. Both of these people were in the same situations. What did they fill themselves with? This person can see things more clearly. They can make better choices. They have chosen to fill themselves with righteousness. So that is what they are going to seek. This person made different choices. They have a clouded perspective when they are trying to make decisions and choices. So my question to you today is, what is how's your appetite? What are you craving? The message version of Matthew 5, 6 says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. So if I eat sugar all the time, what am I going to crave? Sugar. I'm going to want more sugar. Um, I'm not a big salad person, so I often like to choose the fries or the queso to go with my meal. But after I do, I'm always left feeling sluggish and miserable. If you choose to fill yourself with worldly things you're going to have a clouded view of everything around you and you're going to be left feeling spiritually sluggish. If you choose to fill yourself with righteousness and justice, that is what you're going to crave. Sometimes that's not the easy choice. Sometimes you have to force yourself to choose righteousness and justice. But if you do that more and more, it'll be easier for you to choose that because you will be more filled with righteousness. So how's your appetite? What are you craving? What are you hungering and thirsting for? Hopefully, it's righteousness and the character of God. Pastor Adam is going to come now and wrap up our Beatitudes for this week. The Beatitudes are an opportunity for us to reorient our hearts to God's, God's ways, to reorient, I could speak, reorient, reorient our hearts to uh, the kingdom, to kingdom thinking. And these aren't just ethics. The Sermon on the Mount could be called Christian ethics. But it's not just that. I, I, it, it bugs me. Right, because there's there's professors in school and, and people that are very intelligent that aren't Christians that will say, "Oh, the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus. Oh, I love that. I'm not too keen on Jesus. I don't want to accept Jesus. I don't want to be a Christian. But the teachings are so positive and a great way to look at humanity. This isn't humanism. The Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes are a picture." And they point to Jesus. It's an invitation into the kingdom of God. Jesus. It's an invitation into relationship. The principles all point to what Jesus did on the cross through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Can we stand together? I hope that we will reorient our hearts and our lives to God's kingdom, towards Jesus. Can, can we reorient ourselves towards Jesus? I mean, the first one we heard today was blessed are the poor. 
Can we realize that by ourselves, we indeed are spiritually poor, have nothing? I need you, God. I can't do this without you. Or are we going to hang on to ourselves and think we can do it on our own? Then we heard, blessed are those who mourn. Can we not blow over our sin, but realize that our sin grieves the heart of God and ought to grieve us too? God, how are you going to take care of your sin without Jesus? He's the only one that can fix it. So this beatitude should point us to him. We heard, blessed are the meek. Can we not be submissive and humble just like, just like Jesus did? I mean, that was a great example. Jesus was the example of great meekness. He wasn't a wimp, but he embodied humility and came from heaven to be on earth. And do we not want to know the Savior more as we hunger and thirst for more and more of him? God is good. The right response to these will always be to run into relationship with Jesus to run towards Jesus and to not just begin, but to flourish in a relationship with Jesus. That's kingdom living. Lord, we look at you today as our answer, as our solution. Lord, you are good. We declare your goodness and your greatness, Lord. We love you. We're going to sing out to you today.